Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Drax to my Ronan the Accuser, Steve. Welcome back to the Marvel Universe, my friend. I am back. Yes, you are. And that is a lovely knife you'll be wielding today. Yes, I am back. As you cut apart all my, my challenges and problems I have with this film. I like that knife. I think you'll keep it. I'll keep it. Well, this week, if you haven't known already, we're tackling the first movie in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise and numero 10 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're almost halfway there. Oh, that's so sad. We're halfway. <laughs> well, actually, I take that back. That's not sad. That, I think it's going to get more exciting as we go. I certainly wish so. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. That's what we're doing today. And now on this show, we'll be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon. The comic book Movie Planet Preserve is comprised of seven and only seven films. In order to be included, it got to be reviewed by us. They are number one, Deadpool with a bullet. Number two, Iron Man. Number three, The Dark Knight. Those are our A's. Now we have an A- minus in Batman Begins. We got Captain America, The Winter Soldier at a B+, Marvel's The Avengers at a B+, and number seven, Captain America, The First Avenger with a B. And I'm sure at some point this will be a capless uh, preserve, if you will. But as oh. of right now, they're holding down two spots, just like Batman does. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting once we move further and further along that even if we get a Batman one knocked out, like, I'm seriously thinking it's going to be like, okay, which of these amazing films do we have to finally kick out? Because they're all tied. No, they are. You're right. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. I don't know if it's going to happen. I honestly don't. I'm looking at the history of your grades. I don't see anything hitting an A anytime soon. This is like by far my most favorite, you know, saga set of films. And yeah, you were telling me the info last time. And I am not kind to them. You are not kind to these. <laughs> so surprising. You are no one's friend today. Okay. Now, the, <laughs> the higher we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it down on its butt from the observe in the future. So we will discuss the movie. And in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But let's get started talking about this beautiful film, a movie made for $170 million that brought in $773.3 million worldwide. That's quite a haul for a property that nobody knew anything about. Yeah, that's a big risk. Well... I guess when the movie's made for $170 million, it almost seems a little conservative. And dang, did they make bank on this film. Yeah, I think after this, you don't get another movie that's made for less than 200 I think. Yep. Uh, well, it's written by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman, produced by Kevin Feige, and directed by James Gunn, who was fired and then rehired by Disney. Starring Chris Pratt as Chris Pratt. I'm sorry, as Peter Quill. Sorry, that's my first bonus thing with this. Okay, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer, the voice of Vin Diesel as Groot, and the voice of Bradley Cooper as Rocket. Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser, or everyone's favorite second villain in this movie. Michael Rooker as Yandu Yudanta, Karen Gillan as Nebula, Jaman Hunsu as Korath, John C. Riley as Roman Day, Glenn Close, what the fuck is she doing here, as Irene Rael, Benicio Del Toro as Tenelier Tavan, or the Collector, and, oh, Josh Brolin as Thanos. This is where it starts. This is where it all begins, Steve. This is where our love affair 
with that purple darts. Yes. Uh, Stan Lee is in this as a Xandarian ladies man that Rocket calls a pervert. <laughs> and Seth Green as the voice of Howard the Duck. <laughs> but hey, let's get into the making of this movie, starting with a little piece we call Inception to Perception. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige first mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy as a potential film at the 2010 San Diego Comic-Con International. But it wasn't until 2012's Comic-Con that Feige announced that the film was in active development with an intended release date of August 1st, 2014. He said the film's titular team would consist of the characters Star-Lord, Drax the Destroyer, Gamora, Groot, and Rocket Raccoon. In August 2012, James Gunn entered talks to direct the film, beating out other contenders, including Peyton Reed, who would go on to direct Ant-Man, and the duo Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who would go on to direct Captain Marvel. The Avengers director Joss Whedon, who signed a deal to creatively consult on all the films leading up to the Avengers sequel, was enthusiastic about the selection of Gunn to direct, saying, quote, James Gunn is what makes me think it will work. He is so off the wall and so crazy, but so smart, such a craftsman, and he builds from his heart. He loves the raccoon, needs the raccoon. He has a very hard, twisted take on it, but it all comes from a real love for the material. It's going to be hard for the human characters to keep up, end quote. Now, writing-wise, Nicole Perlman was offered several of the lesser-known properties to base a screenplay on. Out of those... Perlman chose Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy due to her interest in space and science fiction. Perlman spent two years writing a draft, immersing herself in the Guardians universe, and was asked in late 2011 to create another draft before Gunn was brought in in early 2012 to contribute to the script. Gunn eventually rewrote the script entirely because, quote, it didn't work, end quote, for him. Gunn later explained that Perlman's draft was very different from the script he used during filming, including a different story, character arcs, and no Walkman. He stated, quote, In Nicole's script, everything is pretty different. It's not about the same stuff, but that's how the Writers Guild of America works. They like first writers an awful lot, end quote. In August 2012, Marvel Studios hired writer Chris McCoy to rewrite Perlman's script However, it is unclear what contribution he had to the final script since he did not receive production credit at all. Gunn revealed that character introductions were the hardest scenes to crack, with Thanos' introduction being the most difficult. He felt that, quote, having Thanos be in that scene was more helpful to the MCU than it was to Guardians of the Galaxy, end quote. Yet he still wanted Thanos in the film without belittling the actual antagonist of the film, which is Ronan. To solve his dilemma, Gunn chose to have Ronan kill the other, Thanos' vizier, saying, I thought that was interesting because we've had the other, who's obviously very powerful, even in comparison to Loki. And then we see Ronan wipe his ass with him. In September 2012, Gunn confirmed that he had signed on to direct the film and rewrite the script. By the end of November, Joel Edgerton, Jack Houston, Jim Sturgis, and Eddie Redmayne signed deals to test for the role of Peter Quill 
as did Lee Pace, which he confirmed a week later in early December. Other actors who were considered for the role included Zachary Levi, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Rosenbaum, and John Gallagher Jr. Chris Pratt was cast in the role in February of 2013, though, as part of a multi-film deal that he signed with Marvel. A month later, Feige discussed Guardians of the Galaxy and stated that 95% of the film would take place in space. In mid-March, Dave Bautista was signed to play Drax the Destroyer. Other actors who had been considered for the role included Isaiah Mustafa, Brian Patrick Wade, and Jason Momoa. A month after that, Zoe Saldana entered into negotiations to star as Gamora in the film, and it was confirmed that she had been cast later that month. Also in April, Michael Rooker joined the film's cast as Yandu, and it was announced that Ophelia Louvabond had been cast in a supporting role. By this point in time, Lee Pace was in final negotiations to play the villain of the film. In May, Marvel offered John C. Riley the role of Roman Day. At the same time, it was disclosed that filmmakers were looking at actors including Hugh Laurie, Alan Rickman, and Ken Watanabe for another role, and that Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely were providing finishing touches to the script. A few days later, Glenn Close was cast as the head of the Nova Corps in the film, followed shortly by the casting of Karen Gillan as the film's lead female villain. By June 2013, Benicio Del Toro was cast in the film as part of a multi-film deal with Marvel Studios. Later in the month, it was confirmed that Riley had been cast as Roman Day. Now, after the release of Thor The Dark World, Feige stated that the Infinity Stones would be a focus in the film, as well as going forward into the Phase 3 slate of films within the MCU. In a separate interview for The, 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 in a separate interview for the Dark World in November, Feige added that a third unknown Infinity Stone would be seen in the film, referred to as the Power Stone by the Collector. The mid-credits scene in The Dark World revealed Lovabond's role as the Collector's slave, later named Karina. In December 2013, Marvel confirmed that Diesel, Vin Diesel, would voice Groot. In April 2014, Gunn described Thanos as the head of the snake in the film and confirmed that he would appear via performance capture. In May 2014, Gunn stated that the film features an enormous amount of smaller and minor characters from the Marvel Universe, adding that he felt the film had the most characters overall of any Marvel Studios film to date. The film introduces the alien race Sakaran, who act as Ronin's mercenaries as a replacement to the Badoon, as the Badoon film rights belonged to 20th Century Fox at the, at the time. By the end of May, Josh Brolin was revealed as the voice of Thanos, with Feige confirming in July that Brolin also provided the performance capture for the character. Thanos communicates via hologram for much of the film, though he does appear in a scene with Ronan and Nebula. In June 2014, Feige added that Thanos and his followers are the biggest piece of connective tissue that will eventually lead us back into Avengers films into the future. On July 7, 2014, Gunn announced on social media that he had completed work on the film. In August, regarding the post credit scene, Gunn revealed that the scene did not involve Howard the Duck when it was originally filmed. Rather, he was added during post-production, a decision made by some combination of James Gunn and the editor Fred Raskin. As the decision to add the character was made late in the post-production process, he had to be designed that day before being handed off to Sony Pictures Imageworks to animate. Also in August, regarding the pre-credit scene of Groot dancing, Gunn stated that he himself 
danced to provide motion reference for the animators and that the decision was made to place the scene before the credits rather than during or after them because of positive responses from a test audience, which made Marvel and Gunn feel that they did not want people walking out and missing this thing at all. Steve, do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? What did you think? I didn't see it in the theaters. What? It was he- oh, I, I, again, I, I don't know. when. It's tough to nail down my serious interest in this whole Marvel universe. Um, yeah, I didn't see it in the theaters for the first time. I was hesitant to watch it because at this point, I was somewhat kind of vested in Marvel, but wasn't totally. And I was thinking... Who the hell are these guardians? Who is Rocket? <laughs> what is, you know, Quill? What's a Gamora and all? I was like, you know what? Hashtag not my superheroes. <laughs> There's your hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> put, How about you? Do you remember seeing I'll put that this? in the marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this was actually the first Marvel movie I saw after I moved to Nashville. And I saw it with uh, my friend Elizabeth, who was our co-host for Mean Girls and the Home Alone review. So she was all excited about it because Chris Pratt was in it from Parks and Rec. Yeah, because this was not too long after you had, you left. I and, know, I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but for some reason, I think, I mean, I know you were still all into the whole movie thing, but I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, we still didn't talk about movies the way we did then as we do now. No, we, re- well, maybe Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, but that was about it. Uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah. It's not like after you, you left. Well, then again, then, uh, after I left, that's when you started your Marvel journey. That's why I couldn't talk about yeah. these movies with you. That's true. Yeah, because I, I was like, hey, I was did you like, see Iron Man 2? And you're like, he's no he's no Superman 4 quest for peace. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> okay, you ready for the synopsis? Yes, sir. All right, here's a little clip from our movie to start us off. You call that figured it out? We're going to rob the guys who just beat us senseless. Oh, you want to talk about senseless? How about trying to save us by blowing us up? We were only going to blow you up if they didn't turn you over. And how on earth were they going to turn us over when you only gave them a count of five? We didn't have time to work out the minutia of the plan. This is what we get for acting altruistically. I'm Groot. They are ungrateful. What's important now is we get the Ravager's army to help us save Xandar. So we can give the stone to Yandu, who's just going to sell it to somebody even worse? We'll figure that part out later. We have to stop Ronin. How? I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have part of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? You don't get to ask questions after the nonsense you pulled on Nowhere. I just saved Quill. We've already established that you destroying the ship that I'm on is not saving me. When did we establish? Like three seconds ago. No, I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something else. Oh. She's right. You don't get an opinion. What percentage? I don't know. 12%. 12%? (laughs) That's a fake laugh. It's real. Totally fake. That is the most real, authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life because that is not a plan. It's barely a concept. You're taking their side? I am Groot. So what is better than 11%? What the hell does that have to do with anything? Thank you, Groot. Thank you. 
1988, Missouri. A young boy named Peter Quill stands by his mother Meredith as she lays dying in a hospital bed. Close to death and delirious, Meredith laments on Peter's father, whom the boy has never met, describing him as an angel. When Meredith finally passes on, a distraught Peter flees from the hospital. After distancing himself from the building, he enters a field where a spaceship suddenly appears, the occupants of which bring Peter aboard and depart into space. Now, I didn't real as I'm reading this right now, I just realized that uh Meredith t- talks about Peter's father being an angel. Well, when <laughs> they're on, I think it's in Endgame or Infinity, it's Infinity War, where they pick up Thor. Yeah. And they describe Thor as this is this this is like a pirate and an angel had a baby. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they did say that. That's funny. Yeah, this is a way to start. I mean, here's the thing. You start off with a super serious Winter Soldier. I mean, you really can't just start the movie with slapstick and goofiness, can you? Well, I, they, they, they didn't in this one. It was just downright depressing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to see this like elementary school little, little boy, you know, at his mother's deathbed. I mean, obviously, when you when you look at her, she's she's like suffering from some kind of cancer. She's not well. <laughs> no, she's not. She's pale. She's lost her hair. It's just very, very sad when she reaches out and says, hold my hand. And I'm just like, Dude, just, hold your mom's hand. Yeah, grab her like, hand, ser- damn it. Seriously. I mean, and I get the kid was trying to keep face and it almost seemed like he was just trying to stay strong and not show his emotion. Yeah. But then as soon as she goes, it's just like, he's just like, oh, what did I just do? I should have done this. And then he just loses it. It was really, really tough to watch. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. It, this is this is definitely picking up where Winter Soldier left off with. We're going serious here. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, she mentions dad is an angel. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like everything in Marvel, you don't just bring a person up in conversation and that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, really. This is foreshadowing. You know, <laughs> I wonder who the father will be. Steve, do you know? You don't because you're coming from the angle that you've never seen these movies. I can probably guess. I don't know. Is it Tango or Cash? Tango. <laughs> Tango. It's got to be Tango because Ray he's Tango. Got those ama- his amazing dance moves. Yes. Okay. Got it. That, 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 that'll tie it in. All right. Here we go. 26 years later on the planet Morag, an adult Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, is searching for a mysterious orb, MacGuffin, whilst listening to awesome mixtape number one. He finds the orb and takes it out of a laser enclosure. Almost immediately, Korath and his henchmen find Peter, and after a shootout, Peter makes it to his ship, the Milano, named after Alyssa Milano, and escapes. Now... Here's the thing. You have that dour opening, that depressing opening, and all of a sudden, boom, tonal shift. <laughs> this sets the stage for the rest of the movie. Apparently, Peter Quill dancing through the temple to get an orb is basically Indiana Jones grabbing the golden statue in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, it was like that seriousness to start. I'll tell you, when this when this scene first starts off, you got him landing and he's kind of looking around. You see this guy. He's got a mask on, so you don't really know who it is. So right. It's like, Okay, what what's going on, you know? And all of a sudden he you see who it is, okay, Chris Chris Pratt's character. And then all of a sudden he pushes play on his little, you know, <laughs> headphones, cassette, his walkman. Yep, his walkman. And the music starts. And then all of a sudden the Guardians of the Galaxy title pops up. And I'm just like What? Hey, hey, what's the matter? And you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> exactly. I'm just like 
this is a complete change of pace from anything that we've seen so far in terms of bringing humor into the MCU. And I'm like, I don't really know how this is going to work, especially after Winter Soldier, where, you know, that was your political thriller type film. But it was like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I mean, funny. I love the music. Yes. That's that's Redbone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a couple of things here. And one is like, okay, this orb is supposedly supposed to be hard to get because nobody's gotten the darn thing. It turns out all he needs is a gravity grenade and just sucks the damn thing out. Oh, don't get me started. (laughs) No, but I'm I'm serious. Like, he puts the gravity thing down. It sucks the orb up, but it doesn't make Star-Lord attract to it? Steve? Okay, so when I first read this, I thought I would, you were talking about the grenades that he was shooting out, those gravity bombs. Yeah, I'm okay. assuming this is kind of the same thing. Kind of the same technology, yes. Okay, so what I thought about that during that scene is that maybe he's got... <laughs> this is oh, so yeah. <laughs> Give us the he's reasoning got, now. <laughs> <laughs> he's got certain grenades that can, like, can't like, like control so much gravity i don't know it's like you know when he throws it at the at the different people later on when he's escaping he's a certain distance away you know yeah it may be like his um the uh i'm trying to find the right word for it the field of which you know anything gets affected by these gravity bombs is so finite so you just got to be a certain distance away yeah but it's right know. by his foot i didn't well th- how do you know that wasn't just a gravity thing stop I mean, don't be wrong. He's got some cool tech. I mean, he's got thrusters on his feet. He's got hollow maps. He's got a mask around his face that protects him from from space. He's got gravity grenade. He's got everything you need. Maybe okay. Here, here we go. What about what if his shoes had planted him into the ground so he couldn't be sucked into it? Okay, I yeah. Well, <laughs> we want to go I see, what you, I see what you're doing here, <laughs> and you're just like. <laughs> creating this is that's just outlandish i know, you know what that. was i thinking and i get that i get that okay uh there's another character that shows up here who shows up later and it's korath he shows up in captain marvel later on as a kree warrior they get the same actor yeah. to do it which you have not you've legitimately not seen captain marvel yet no i have know nothing about captain marvel. yeah so he <laughs> he shows up at the very beginning of the movie and you're like where have i seen him before oh yeah he's the one that goes star lord Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we gotta remember. We have to, we have to remember the planet Morag for later use in movies. So that's important. And yes. now this is my opinion, Steve. This is the coolest that Chris Pratt has been, including any later movie he's ever been in. This movie, uh, I I totally one hundred percent agree. Yes, he's just like I feel like if you were like to just to meet him as he is, just a normal person. This is his actual personality. The, yeah, he is. His personality is Star Lord. Yes. yes. This, okay. He's not. At, he's not really acting. He's just being himself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we'll get into later why that's a problem for me. <laughs> uh, his partner or mentor Yandu calls and tells Peter to give him the orb, and Peter decides he's going to sell it on his own. <laughs> now, my, my first thing I go is, "Wow, everyone in this universe speaks English. That's impressive." <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I mean, that, I didn't ne- never read, never realized that until I read this. And I'm like, Dang, <laughs> you know, that is that is so true. Everybody knows basic. Yeah, yeah. And Michael Rooker playing Yondu, I think is perfect. I mean, the last time we really saw him was Walking Dead. Yes. Where he was Daryl? No, he was Merrill. Merrill. 
Merle. Thank you. I was going to say Daryl yeah. Merrill. Uh, I, the great part of this scene, though, is when he gets it back. He gets he he avoids everybody on Morag. Gets on his ship. Its ship takes off. It goes through hell. And there's a woman in his like basement of the ship, kind of going, "Oh, what what the hell? I totally forgot you were here." <laughs> yeah, at that when I saw that, I was just like, "Okay, he's this kind of guy. He's just a little player." Yeah, he's he's Tony Stark without the smart. Yes, but he's. Yes. He's crafty, I guess. I guess, yeah. He Here's is. the thing. He's, he's, I, think, I think a lot of luck goes his way. He's going basically on, I mean, how old would you think he was when he was abducted? Like third grade, fourth grade? Yes. Okay. Definitely so, early, middle elementary school. So he's basically left with a 10-year-old education mm-hmm. for 26 years. Well, in Earth, yeah. I'm sure he learned a lot more when he got to space. Well, probably. I mean, they all speak English, so it probably wasn't hard for him to find a school, right? Exactly. <laughs> On the Kree warship, the Dark Aster, Korath reports to Ronan, 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 Conan, that he failed in getting the orb and that it's in the hands of Peter. Ronan wants the herb because he can trade it to Thanos oh, in exchange for Thanos oh, destroying Xandar. Ronan plans to send Nebula after Peter, but Gamora volunteers. Over Nebula's complaints, Ronan sends Gamora. Uh, when this intro starts, I was like, damn, this Ronan's going to be a bad dude. I mean, they got people bathing him and whatnot. He mentions Thanos, basically, and it's like, oh, Thanos, really? But as soon as they do it, you're like, I kind of want to know more about him, though. <laughs> yeah, they made him feel very, very, very godlike, and just how they're prepping him. Oh, yeah. Like, it actually reminded me of something they might have done back in, like, ancient Egypt times. Right. You know, with their pharaohs and how they were, like, throwing, like, sand or dust on them, like, <laughs> blessing him so to speak and just how they dressed them all up was just really really cool yeah i love the fact that you know he comes in they're pouring like the he comes out of this dark liquid almost and you're like what the yeah. hell is this is this when he smashes somebody and the blood just trickles into like this the floor yeah i yeah i think that he smashes the one guy's head yeah brutal and then it's like he was like a necessary sacrifice and they used his blood going down like this crazy looking temple, like mini temple thing to. Yeah, yeah, it was it was completely insane. Now, meanwhile, we also meet Gamora and Nebula, clearly two people who do not like each other, but are forced to be around each other <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on the planet Xandar. Peter takes the orb to a broker and asks what it is because Ronan's goons are after it, too. On hearing Ronan's name, the broker suddenly doesn't want anything to do with the orb. He kicks Peter out of the shop. Outside, Gamora jumps Peter and tries to retrieve the orb herself. Nearby, Rocket and Raccoon and Groot see there's a bounty on Peter's head, so they also try to capture him. And it's not too long before Peter, Gamora, Rocket, and Groot are arrested by the Nova HQ and sent to a space prison called the Kiln. Steve, this whole scene is an amazing way to introduce not just all the characters, but all their skills, too. The lineup specifically. (laughs) Yeah, it was um, as they're like, doing that pan down i can see it right now in my head of xandar and that whole busy bustling area yes um it's just uh and then you hear rocket's voice in the background you don't really know i mean at least for me when i when i first saw this i didn't know anything about the characters yeah i was like man i wonder you know who's talking about this and when they finally <laughs> zoom up on a freaking raccoon i was like what the heck is this this is like so <laughs> random and what's that got tree rac- drinking water raccoon in a tree <laughs> It's just like crazy. But the CGI looks great. Oh, it looks really good. Probably some of the best that we've seen in the MCU period. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
apparently Ronan's got a reputation because the broker is scared shitless about this guy. Yeah, he's um, it, it was I was that's what kind of really put me out. I was like, OK, Ronan's a pretty bad guy. I mean, I didn't know too much about Thanos from the first time I saw this. Yeah. And I know he was a major player, but this kind of solidified the fear that Ronan has in the galaxy. So I was gotcha. like, okay, there's this, this whole everybody. You hear his name and you just shiver. So yeah, I was like, I want to know more about that. Um, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> so let's start this. Sh- let's on, start this yeah. sh- now. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought about this when I was. When you start Let me just say, I wrote a note here that just says Xandar and the Nova Corps are pretty cool, and then <laughs> okay. you had this to say. So. During this whole scene, when Gamora's beating up Quill and this whole, I don't know, what kind of scene would you kind of call this? Like a chase scene almost. Capture the flag. Yeah, it's a capture the flag, chase scene, whatever. Um, All this is going on in a span of, you know, near couple, like, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. Probably not in film time 10 minutes, but it seemed like a while because they're jumping all over the place. Yeah, it's a two and a half minute scene. Really kind of neat how... You got to see all the characters intertwine. Um, but the one thing that I did have a little bit of a nitpick about <laughs> was all of this crime, so to speak, or this mischief is going on. And Novacor, which is the police, for lack of a better term, correct? Yes. Am I right about that? Yeah. Like the Novacor is like the police. Okay. Yeah, you are. So they didn't really, there was like no intervention at all. It's like going to a mall and starting a brawl or anything and then nobody's coming in like no mall police are coming in right away and nowadays maybe on earth that's what something again this isn't earth and earth society or whatnot um you would just if something were to happen i think there would be immediate involvement you now just... this this scene was kind of going on in this very very crowded place you would think that there was some sort of presence by your police your nova Corps, or whatever um all over the place and Nothing was really done. Well, I mean, two and a half minutes in, that's what happened. I just would have thought that they would have intervened a lot sooner. But then again, I maybe I was thinking of Earth Society now. I don't know. There's just security presence no matter where you go, if it's like a crowded or a public place. Do you, okay. I don't know. Okay, if I may, if this stuff happened on our planet, the cops wouldn't be there for about 10 minutes. No, but there'd be some sort of security, like, put into place somewhere i don't know like if you were like if this happened at a mall which yeah. this looked like one big huge outdoor mall actually it was absolutely massive are you equating the nova corps to mall cops <laughs> you son of a Secu- <laughs> security yeah no <laughs> it's would you agree that it's when you look at what xandar is it's kind of a utopia like there there's so many different people there and they appear to be living in a relatively peaceful way Yes. I, I When I first saw that panned out from Xandar, I immediately thought, what if Asgard was, like, modern? Right. That's exactly what I thought of it as. So, I mean, although Asgard does have, like, their newer technology, it still looks very um, aged, for lack of a better term. Yes. It's very um, Celtic or whatever. But um, Xandar is almost, like, the exact same thing, but just very, very modern, high-tech everything. So, I don't know. I guess I would have thought that maybe the Nova Corps, the security, would be, I mean, have a bigger presence involved. But. I mean, they they are captured by the Nova Corps within minutes. 
seemed like a lot happens. I think you're expecting, I like, don't know. like, are you saying, like, somebody throws a punch and they're right there? Well, I would have thought that it was, this was more of a punch. There was guns being shot off. There it was, was like a two and a half minute scene, though. <laughs> two and a half and minutes. People are walking around like nothing's going, like nothing's happening. Oh, God. Okay. Agree to disagree on this one. You're wrong. Here we go. Like I said, I'm nitpicking. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> I also wrote down that or better do something awesome because right now it's a lame MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and then I know that, like they go to the, the person in charge, the president of Xandar, and it's it's freaking Glenn Close. Like, oh, Oscar nominee. Said, man, hey, that's Cruella DeVille. <laughs> <laughs> Looks just like it. Oscar Seriously, nominee Glenn everything. Close is in the movie for like five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we go to the we, okay. We go to the prison here. Pretty much everyone in prison wants to kill Gamora. Drax the Destroyer has a vendetta against her because Ronan killed his wife and daughter. So he wants to avenge them by taking the life of one of Ronan's family members in return. Gamora explains that she's not related to Ronan and she was def- planning on double crossing him. Peter argues in Gamora's favor. Now this is interesting because this is the fourth different environment in this movie, and they've all been very unique looking. Yeah, their CGI and their color. I think the whole prison scene, I can't remember again what the name of it was. But um, it was just, okay, yeah. It was just, it was extremely, extremely colorful. Like, whoever designed it, and this, you know, whether it was the set or all the CGI, I mean, they put a lot of time and a lot of effort to it. And I thought that was just, it was very eye-catching to the audience. Yeah. Really, really neat. Yeah. Uh, they say that she's the daughter of Ronan. So, Wait a minute. yeah, Drax says she's the daughter of Ronan. But well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, she's the daughter of Thanos. So, or is yeah. she related to Ronan? Or a Thanos and Ronan family? I mean, I, if the universe would, knows about everybody here, then wouldn't the universe be well aware of any relation to these two crazy assholes? Maybe they just know that they work for each other. Uh, yeah, that, that is super confusing. You know what? I remember the first time I saw that, I was confused on who was related to who. Right. I was like, are, are they really sisters? Because they're completely different opposite ends of the rainbow here. Yeah. In terms of color. Exactly. And then, you know, okay, maybe I can believe Ronin. And, and then Nebula? I didn't know where Ronin fit in. So I was, I don't know. Like Ronin and Nebula, because they're both blue, I would think. Not to be a colorist yes. out there. Not to be a colorist. Okay. Yes. But they're both blue. Gamora's green. Thanos is purple. <laughs> well, I guess, don't you make green and blue? You get purple. Well, but that would be backwards. I, I was going to say. <laughs> and green and blue doesn't make purple. Who was your art teacher in elementary school? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> so she says she's not working for Ronan or Thanos. Does that mean she's good right now? Like, when did she go good? That's true, because it's like, what made her want to turn against Thanos? We never see Ronan. mean Gamora. We never see it. Yeah, I guess that's just one thing that you got to have. You have to just, all right, I guess, whatever. You know, there's, there's, yeah. no, there's no believability in that scene. Yeah. And I also wrote down the chemistry between all five gardens is it's it's when you just watch them through the count, it's so well done. The casting is a is a massive plus in this movie. Yeah. Is, are you talking about when they kind of when they're talking about each one when the security yeah. guards are talking? Yeah, that was really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things <laughs> I absolutely love. Again, the music is just amazing. You know? Yes. It, these are all the songs that I love listening to and what, what I grew up with my parents would listen to. And whenever I hear hooked on a feeling, 
I know it's not the actual version that's played in the film, but I just think of the David Hasselhoff cover. <laughs> and then I think and then I think of the video of him flying through the air. Please, have you ever seen this? I have never seen this. Dude, I encourage everybody. You want to sit down and just go, people signed off on this? Watch the <laughs> David Hasselhoff, Hasselhoff video of Hooked on a Feeling. It's kind of got like a, uh, it's very uh, up, it's more upbeat, almost like a techno kind of a version. Oh, no. But it's absolutely insane and completely laughable. I highly suggest you check it out. Anything else on this part you want to talk about? Yeah, I, you know, when they were um, walking into the compound, I realized that this movie on what you've seen so far yes. and where they've gone, it is just moving through really, really quick. It is chugging right along. A lot has happened and I would love to know where the timestamp is and where they're walking through this. Yeah. It's, I mean, and even listening to what we've only talked about so far, I feel like the movie's only been playing for like 30 some minutes. Yeah. It's about 30 minutes in that this is happening. Yeah. This is so you've been to how many different planets you've been, you know, so much storyline has developed. I thought that yeah. was a lot has happened in a little bit amount of time. Well, meanwhile, at Sanctuary, Ronan reports to Thanos that Gamora is a traitor. Tha- Tattletale. Thanos tells him to take care of her and get the orb. He also notes that Gamora is his favorite daughter, which angers Nebula, his other daughter. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just. <laughs> Thanos says he's got one daughter left in Nebula and he's a d- to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's evil. <laughs> yeah. I just So what I, did you As soon as I see Thanos, my first my, my first thing in my head is just I'm screaming like a little boy, just yeah. But more <laughs> importantly, it's nice to see the redesign of Thanos is nearly complete. <laughs> it's not all yeah, the way there yet. <laughs> It still looked a little off. And again, I'm going to the note that I haven't seen anything else, but okay, let's be honest. I kind of have. And it's, yeah, it still looks a little off, but yeah. it looks a lot better than that little smile and grin that we saw a couple of movies ago. But Brolin, Brolin does a great job of delivering his first Thanos lines for real in this. I'll tell you. Isn't it where you like, you, what's the quote? Here, you got it. So, yeah, this scene was absolutely insane. One of my favorite quotes that he says, yeah, probably in the entire MCU, and he says a lot <laughs> of good ones towards the end. But when he's, it's the point when he's talking to Ronan and he's just kind of outlining his expectations, I guess. Okay. And the one line he says, he goes, Betray me and I will bathe the stars in your blood. Oh, yes. It's... And he just delivers it, and you see Ronan's face, and he is like cringing, like, please don't. <laughs> you know i was like wow dude i just got goosebumps just thinking about until, it, it until he grows a pair so later <laughs> until he grows a pair later all of a sudden yeah i guess that's what these stones will do to you i don't know grows a pair of stones <laughs> <laughs> all right well hey Back at the space prison, Gamora has a plan to sell the orb to someone else. Peter, Rocket, and Groot agree to help and split the award. Rocket has a plan to escape the prison. He needs one of the guards' wrist devices, a prisoner's prosthetic leg, and a battery from a tall column in the prison. As he explains that it's very important to take the uh, the battery last, Groot <laughs> grabs it first. The alarms go off and security dro- droids fly in, uh, which is probably the same response time that... Uh, uh, Steve here wanted from the Nova Corps earlier. Gamora goes to get a wrist device as Peter negotiates for the prisoner's leg. 
Drax decides to join in the escape, realizing that eventually Ronan will go after Gamora, and then he can kill Ronan himself. Okay, Steve? Rocket gets a gun. Oh. Rocket fires gun. Rocket makes me smile. <laughs> I was going to say, you got to love that whole little montage. And I wanted to, I, I wanted to ask you, like, as they're going over this plan, yes. I can really... Now, I, I mean, I knew the film was going to be funny already, but the fact that they're going over the plan and Groot is just off in his own little thing, and then he's actually like, hey, what is this? Do we need this at all? <laughs> and everything's happening point exactly you know and then Groot just starts off the plan but says whatever you do we can't get the battery first <laughs> oh, I guess I messed up <laughs> I thought that was that was just priceless in the background humor you know and that's what I love about this film it has like little things like that which yeah. is funnier than heck no it's I, I love them explaining the plan and you can already tell this is going to be a comedy of errors throughout yes. the entire movie because as he's talking about it they're already screwing it up <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and when you describe that scene of rocket gets gun rocket fires gun you know that whole thing yeah um, that whole little mini scene i love the camera angles that they use they did like a 360 kind of a montage of Groot just being out all angry and oh. so is rocket you can just tell it they're just like together when they have what they need they could be an unstoppable force no yeah but it also reminds me of like Hobbits walking in trees. <laughs> just, I was like, yeah, oh, he's bit. an end. <laughs> but I got a question for you because this thing, there, there's a lot of guns firing here. Are we to believe Groot is bulletproof? You know what? I, you got to think so. I, I got to think he, well, he's, he's kind of a tree. So right. He's made of wood and you can fire bullets at a tree. But eventually it'll leave off, a hole. And you see that, right? You see parts of Groot being chipped away. Not a whole uh, lot. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's oak, if it's pine. You know, some trees are more <laughs> durable right. than others. I mean, <laughs> got to think about it. What is this family tree made of? Oh, look at me go! <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone gets the item they agreed to get, and they all make it to a guard station near the top of the prison. Rocket is surprised that Peter actually got the lake <laughs> and says that he was only kidding and he didn't really need it. <laughs> what do you look like? Was he just hopping around? <laughs> <laughs> just as it seems that they have run out of time rocket rigs up the stuff to turn off the gravity in the prison and to use the security droids as jets to fly the guard station out of the prison they escape but peter leaves the others telling rocket that he left something behind it turns out that he is retrieving his walkman with the awesome mixtape from one of the guards uh we learn that drax's race is completely literal <laughs> i love that yeah that was funny yeah <laughs> i like that knife the <laughs> He's like, yeah. Oh, Drax, my favorite knife. Drax, Drax's race is completely literal. He'll just say any, believe anything you say. Um, yeah. Hey, Star Lord can fly through space. I mean, that's pretty cool. <sighs> okay. So when I saw this, I was like, and he's, I see him coming. I was like, oh, that's good. Now wait a minute. Space <laughs> Do it. and its physics is kind of. The same, I would like to think. Yes. You know, the fact that they got to fly through these spaceships because they could, they can't really fly through space. And I got to believe that Quill is human. There's nothing else I know about him because he right. came from Earth. I mean, it was a really big leap of faith just for a mask to contain his entire body. Do it, Steve. You know, and I thought to myself, I was like, there's something screwy here. There it is. 
made me question his true self and that there's something special about him. Yes. Yeah. They're, yeah. He can fly through space, but we have we're to believe for a second here that he's obviously cold. He's wearing I mean he's wearing gloves. He's fully clothed and everything, but the mask clearly protects him. If he doesn't have the mask on, he's gonna have a problem, right? Yeah, no, he's almost, yeah, he can survive in space, apparently. Yeah, well, 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 I, well, well okay, here we go. Yes, I agree. <laughs> okay, so again, they mentioned the orb over, we need the orb, we need the orb. Uh, and I, I would be laughing hysterically if the orb just turned out to be like a pack of gummy bears or something. I mean, it, as a MacGuffin, this thing better be worth the haul, because so far, it's just a metal sphere. That's about it. Yeah, and with all the humor that's going through this, like, if that honestly did happen, it would be funny, but then you'd be really pissed at the same time. Yeah. So Yandu goes to his broker and finds out Peter still has the orb. And again, they mention the orb. Now, Steve, I'm not going to lie. At this point, I paused the movie and I sat and I was like, hold on a second. <clears throat> what has happened in this movie so far? Nothing. And my whole thing is they keep saying the orb, the orb, the orb. This better be something good because otherwise... This movie's going to have to deliver on a better plot to get a serviceable grade for me. See, I think the only thing that has happened in this film, and please correct me if I'm wrong, okay. is really that all they've done is just build your characters. For 45 minutes. I know, exactly. They spent <laughs> a lot of time building these characters and throwing in humor, you know, because they're doing a completely different, you know, twist on how they're doing the MCU. Yes. But, no, yeah, I agree. And it's, all right, Orby. I, okay. Well, everyone on Peter's ship gets to know one another uh, better. They don't like each other at all. <laughs> They're just stuck together. Soon they arrive at Nowhere, a space station <laughs> built in the severed head of a former godlike being. Yes, that Nowhere is the head of a celestial. So we know those are a part of the MCU now. Huh, I uh, guess I missed that. Yeah. Uh, they're there to meet with the Collector. While they wait for their appointment, Drax, Rocket, and Groot... They, they get drunk and gamble. Gamora and Peter bond over music. He explains that his mom made him the mixtape of her favorite songs. She listens and likes it. He asks her to dance, but she doesn't trust him. He says it reminds him of an old fable about other people who didn't dance. It was called Footloose. He makes a pass at her, but she says she's not one of those doe-eyed girls he's used to, and she won't fall for his pelvic sorcery. <laughs> oh, that was that was Quill getting his game on. <laughs> like how we did earlier. Pelvic sorcery. <laughs> so yeah, I love the fact that they alluded to the idea that it's a celestial's head because those are the beings of the universe. So yeah, I thought that I was cool. I guess I missed that part. You didn't notice that was a gigantic skull? No, I well no, I'm gonna be honest. No, I didn't. And I didn't even notice that it was a celestial, and I still to this day I mean, if I need to do my research on what a celestial is. Oh, um, they're they, yeah, they're like eternity and blah blah blah. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I did want to say that I love the fact of the name nowhere. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I love the double meaning behind it. Where are we going? We're nowhere. Going nowhere. It's like, <laughs> yep, that's where this I, plot I, is I, going. That, nowhere. <laughs> that, yeah, that's just the huge ice. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the fact that that was their, uh, their little play on words. I like that. And again, that's the humor of the movie. Yeah. And again, the soundtrack is fire still. I mean, everything that's being played is just great. 
Uh, before they can meet with the collector, Drax, Rocket, and Groot, all hammered drunk, get into a big fight with each other. Drax thinks Groot is dumb, and Rocket is tired of people calling him a rodent. Peter, <laughs> Peter talks them out of fighting. The collector's assistant fetches them, and they all go to meet him. And Drax goes off on his own and makes a little phone call. <laughs> this movie proves that Disney is hands-off. <laughs> There's people making sex jokes, getting drunk, and there is no shortage of violence whatsoever in this. Yeah, it was a pretty wild scene for sure. Yeah. Uh, but this next scene is the wildest of everything in this movie. The Collector has a giant assortment of collectibles, including many from the Marvel Universe and even Cosmo the Soviet space dog. The Collector puts the orb into a kind of lathe, which unscrews the two halves of the orb to reveal an infinity stone. <sighs> The Collector explains that the Infinity Stone is an all-powerful thing. There are more of them, and they can destroy planets. The Collector's assistant suddenly grabs the stone, because, you know, as you do. The Infinity Stone is poisoning her, and then she and everything in the area blow up. Most of the people survive, along with Cosmo the Soviet space dog. Peter and the others manage to escape with the orb holding the Infinity Stone. They decide the safest place to take the stone is Nova Headquarters. It's too dangerous to be anywhere else. Even though... The ether is right there with the collector still. Yeah, well, they didn't know that. Okay. So there's a lot in this scene. It's like, it's it's a treasure trove of Easter eggs. Yes, this is a fanboy's, like... Yeah, the following things you'll see in the background here. You'll see Cosmo, the space dog. You'll see Howard, the duck. You see a sovereign cocoon, which you find out in Guardians Volume 2. You see a dark elf. You see a yep. Shatari. You see slugs from James Gunn's movie Slither. A never nude from Arrested Development. There's a Frost Giant, the Ether, a Krylorian, a Hercterian, a NASA suit, a Zeronian, some amphibious alien, probably the guy from Hellboy, a Cyclopean alien, a giant butterfly. I almost wish in the theater they just said, you know what? We're going to pause this for everybody just to kind of look at the scene. Just, just watch what you see. Beautiful. Never noticed the giant butterfly. Oh, it's there. Is it Mothma? Oh, Mothra? Mothra, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get the mention of an infinity stone. And okay, awesome. Now we know why the orb is so important. It's the power stone. Yes. Do you now feel better about that? <laughs> no, because if it was that important, why wouldn't they secure this in a better place than an empty planet of Morag. I, 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 I don't know what to say about that. Cause I, I, I was dumbfounded the same way. Um, but I'll tell you what was interesting about this whole scene is that I could watch a mini series. Yes. Like no more than three or five, four or five episodes of just everything in the collector alone. And how he was able to get or find, I mean, we don't know if these were just all given to him or he went out and got some of these amazing um, trophies, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term. And how he got all these. I think that would just be, that would be fun to watch in itself. Well, I have a theory for you. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the Collector is actually, and this is comic truth, uh, he is the Grandmaster's brother. Grandmaster, okay. Grandmaster uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Okay. He's their brother. So think about all the creatures that they get 
in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. I'm sure if they lose to Hulk, he just goes, okay, send him to the collector. Mm, that's true. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. The collector's assistant is attracted to the power stone. So does that mean it has the same effect as the one ring does to the weak in the Lord of the Rings? It might. I mean, it's that's universe power right there. So, yeah, I would think so. And man um, always craves power overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and remember, um, he's got that ether too. Yeah, that's also there too. Yeah, I love the explanation of the Infinity Stones. Yes, like there are very few moments in this entire saga where it's just like, if I'm watching this with anybody, it's just like, don't even say a word, people. This is important. <laughs> this is important explanation. It's like, shh, not while I'm listening. Yeah, this is important. Focus, you know. This is like, and every time I watch it, it's like, I want to do that same thing, like pay attention, eyes glued the entire time, just to see if I even miss something yep. or so I can pick up something new. So one, one of the most pivotal scenes in the entire MCU, because it explains all of this. Yeah. The only other speech I can think of that explains the Infinity Stones as well as this does is in Infinity War later on when, yes, Wong, yes. Or when Wong and uh, Strange go over it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Suddenly, the group is ambushed by Ronan and his crew because they found out that Drax drunk dialed Ronan. Drax was tired of waiting to face Ronan, so he told Ronan where they were. <laughs> Yondu shows up too. <laughs> Gamora, Rocket, and Quill take off in a single passenger ships, while Nebula and some of Ronan's goons chase after them. Drax tries to fight Ronan, but gets his kicked badly. Ronan says he doesn't even remember killing Drax's family, nor will he remember killing Drax now. Drug, just the fact that they're like, you drunk dialed him? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it humanized them, but also it kind of, you know, oh, it kind of makes sense. He's a very literal person. So yes. if he wants to do something, he's going to go out and do it. Uh, the Power Stone just destroyed the Collector's little room. Can we assume that it also destroyed the ether then? Or is the Collector smart enough to contain, contain it in a safer place? <laughs> Well, I would like to think that the, he was, yeah, a little smart so yeah. that if anything happened to any of the really important things, whether it was still there, it kind of just exploded but didn't damage it. But still, that's something super powerful that now can be anywhere. So, yeah, that's it. That is a good point. Although, oh, you know, here's the thing. Ah, I just figured something out. Remember how when we were doing Thor The Dark World, your big problem was that the ether was a liquid, right? Yes. Okay, so if it's in its liquid form, it really can't be shattered like a stone. Yeah, but they put it into something that was more solid. And if it is liquid, then it can just because, I mean, remember when it comes out of Jane? Yeah. It's just kind of floating featheringly liquidly oh, yeah. so know, it, in the air. So it could just like almost float away. So, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I just talked myself in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hope that he put it into something that's almost darn near indestructible. Let's sure. just hope that he put a Ziploc bag around that thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ronan handling Drax like a fly is amazing. Yeah, it was like, who are you? Yeah. And again, it's just for the solidified. I don't remember killing your family and, you know, whatever. That's just how big high up he is. And it makes me think, dang, how crazy or how good at the fighting is Ronan. We really don't even see that at all in this film. This no, we don't. This biggest fight scene. But here's what we do see. We see another being in this universe handling a hammer like a boss. Mm-hmm. 
We have Thor and his Mew Mew. Meow Meow. And now we've got Ronan, and his hammer is a little bit longer, and he's no slouch with that either. Oh, God. See? Again, why did they have to get rid of Ronan? <laughs> because he was worthless in this movie. <laughs> Jeez, he was, but he could have been so much more. I'll talk about that. Well, I bet this whole scene probably looked really good in 3D also. I saw it in 2D, but when they're flying those ships through all the little holes and everything, I was like, this is a 3D dream. Now, was it filmed in 3D? It was not filmed in 3D, which is why I did not see it in 3D. Okay. Yes. You know my rules. <laughs> well, I understand, but, you know, I, I and I, I, I get that and respect it because I did make the mistake of seeing the um, uh, Force Awakens in 3D. Ah, uh, yes. Don't, don't ever do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nebula chases Gamora's ship above the atmosphere and blows it up. Nebula gets the Infinity Stone and leaves Gamora floating in space to die, like Princess Leia. Uh, Peter realizes that he can't allow Gamora to die, so he calls Yandu to tell him where he is, then exits his ship and floats to Gamora, where he gives her his mask to keep her alive. This is one of my least favorite scenes in the MCU. Star-Lord transferring his mask to Gamora. It's, it is so obvious that they filmed this scene underwater because of the way that their skin is moving and their hair is moving. It could have been done so much better. And in a in a movie where visual effects are key, you cannot afford flubs like this. Yeah, it was very awkward. And then, Steve, I mean, why didn't he just put Gamora in the pod so he can breathe with his mask in space? It was an unnecessary sacrifice. My only rebuttal with that, and it's he was in a situation where he had to kind of think right then and there. He was blinded by love. Clearly. He's only so known he her for like thought, a day. <laughs> hey, he was ready to put his pelvic sorcery on her. He had just put it on somebody else like a day before, and the, he forgot but she was even there. Maybe Gamora just hit him in a different way. It's like, okay, maybe it's, maybe he likes inside. Anyways, <laughs> it, it, I think he just was like thinking in the moment and didn't even think about that, you know? So that's, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not defending this scene at all. I think it's crazy and it's weird and it is extremely awkward but yeah. that's my only thing that maybe people thought of i don't know yeah well yeah yandu arrives and collects peter and gamora with a tractor beam right before they would have died this is where we see that yandu's ship is the same ship that abducted peter as a child ha ha and they mm -hmm. land on each other and gamora and peter yeah they're a power couple <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile on board the dark aster ronin tells thanos now that he has the infinity stone he can cut thanos out of the deal <laughs> you dumb shit. Instead, he will destroy Xandar himself and then go after Thanos. He puts the Infinity Stone into his hammer. I'm sorry, man. Ronan, you've got some cathedral bells clanging under that skirt to double-cross Thanos like this. Woo! Yeah. Even better. <laughs> I love that after Thanos sees Ronan do this, he just quietly hangs up his FaceTime. <laughs> that, is, that is so perfect, and that's what's so great about Thanos and him being... An ultimate leader. It's just like he doesn't overreact. Right. You know, everybody else who thinks that they're like the best thing in this film, they completely overreact in their power. Yeah. And then I noticed, I was like, it's a shame that they didn't know the ether was on nowhere also. It may have gotten Endgame a few, more, few movies quicker. Yeah. And I think that was a good part on the collectors. And they didn't even know any of this stuff. So maybe that was something unique about that little container. I don't know. Yeah. But I will say that Ronan, 
Yes. When he puts his that Infinity Stone and he ends up wielding an Infinity Stone, Grant, yes, it's in his hammer. He kind of gets his bad card back from it. Does he? Like he he completely lost it when he was cringed in front of Thanos. I mean, he was terrified. Right. Now he's going against Thanos. He says, I'm coming after you next. <laughs> and then he puts that thing in there and that whole montage of him. I was like, okay, you get your bad card back again. You, you, you've, you've restored my faith. A little bit, oh, so. well, you're more forgiving than I am. I am. You know, that, that whole scene was really neat on how, you know, he puts the stone and the hammer and all that stuff. I, I, I enjoyed that scene. I think part of the reason why I have a problem with this is because I have Thanostalgia. Yes. Where so you knew a lot you knew a lot more about him than I did. The myself. moment the moment that they showed Thanos on this screen, Ronan became number two. Mm-hmm. And at no point does he come close to even getting, getting anywhere near Thanos. So I'm like, no, 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 he's number two still. <laughs> I guess the, the part where I that I liked is the fact that yeah, he knew I think even he knows he's number two. Yeah. But he's but he's challenging. Okay, all right. Well, back on Yondu's ship, Yondu is going to kill Peter for double-crossing him. But he doesn't when Peter says that they have a plan to get the orb back. Oh, just stop calling it the orb. We all know it's a stone. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, on Nowhere, Drax, Groot, and Rocket decide to join forces and save Peter and Gamora from Yondu. They fly the Milano to Yondu's ship and threaten to blow it up with a special weapon Rocket built unless Yondu releases Peter and Gamora. Okay. Peter emerges from the crowd aboard Yondu's ship and persuades Rocket that he doesn't need to be rescued. Okay, so his plan is, I want Peter and Gamora back, or I'm going to blow up Peter and Gamora. And everybody else. <laughs> First, when, when I heard that this Is was anyone on this off. team smart? <laughs> it's like, if I'm not going to have him, you're not either. Right. Uh Yandu, we get his whistle arrow. We see that for the first time. It, it it looks pretty cool, but we don't really see it move. So I'm sitting there going, this does not seem very effective at all. You got a whistle to make this thing move? Yeah, Ugh. it's uh, it it did question. I was more interested about that. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It was kind of little. Um, it wasn't your typical. Hey, I'm just going to shoot you with a gun. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a little bit more like a bow and arrow type thing. So I, I don't know. I was interested. I thought it was neat. And then I had an epiphany when I was watching this, Steve. And I was like, I wrote down, now that I think about it, the first time we see Gamora as truly the bloodthirsty Gamora we've heard about is in Avengers Endgame. She's been good the whole time in this. <laughs> yeah, she has been. Uh, now on board the Milano, Peter explains that they must prevent Ronan from touching the Infinity Stone to the ground of Xandar, which will wipe out the planet, and that he has a plan to stop Ronan. The others ask Peter if he really has a plan or if he was lying. He says he has part of a plan. <laughs> After much discussion, he's got 12% of a plan. Everyone scoffs, <laughs> except Groot, who says that this is more than 11% of a plan. <laughs> Rocket says they they will most likely die if they try to stop Ronan. Peter points out that they've already lost so much that at this point they have nothing to lose. And slowly, each of them stands up and announces that he will join the fight against Ronan. <laughs> I have 12% of a plan. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Quill's a... He, he's a scoundrel scavenger, so he's, he's just thinking on the fly and all this stuff. He's Han Solo. He is. Oh my gosh, yes, that is a good analogy. Yeah, he is the Han Solo of the MCU. Yes. Um, this was a real come-together moment for the group. Okay. Um, where they're all kind of sitting down, and Quill has this like great speech, 
you know, they talk about rallies the troops, so to speak. You know, and even Rocket's looking around, it's like, ah, okay, and they all just kind of gather at one. Hey, and then and then Rocket breaks in and says, "We're all just a bunch of idiots <laughs> standing up." <laughs> yeah, are you happy now? <laughs> it, you know, it's it's funny. This is the second time Vin Diesel's been in a movie that's all about family. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter warns Nova HQ that Ronan is coming to destroy them and they should get ready, telling them that they should believe his message because he's not 100% a d***. Rocket's idea is to blow a hole in Ronan's ship so Peter, Groot, Drax, and Gamora can board it. Gamora is going to cut the power for Ronan's security and then they're going to blow him up with a cannon that Rocket made. They start the plan. Rocket blows a hole in the Dark Aster and then helps Yondu and his men defend Xandar against Ronin's fighter ships. Yondu is shot down. On the ground, told to surrender, he instead uses his arrow weapon to take out an entire platoon of goons. Holy sh**, the arrow's awesome now. <laughs> yep. That, I wish I could whistle like that. That was <laughs> awesome. I, see, when, he, when he starts whistling and it just starts doing all these like right angle shots, I was like, imagine the practice he had to have to get that down. It, it's one of the probably the most deadliest weapons that you see yes it in, is in the entire mcu it's one of the coolest weapons in the mcu yeah the only way you stop him is by you know sewing his lips shut yeah that, that's it i mean you can't dodge out of this way no it's gonna get you right wherever it wants to yeah it's, and even better we're gonna see this like multiplied by a factor of 10 in volume two later on on the dark aster gamora and nebula get into a big fight while drax peter and groot go to the bridge of the ship uh, the fight choreography here between Gamora and Nebula is, is pretty damn good. Yeah, I, I thought it was well improved after at least one movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know how much you hated Winter Soldier, you There's d- a couple good scenes. There are the great majority of Poppycock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dozens of Nova ships link together to form a giant net and slow the descent of the Dirk Aster. Gamora finally beats Nebula, who falls, landing on a Ravager ship, and commandeers it, throwing the pilot of the ship out the window and flying away. Ronan orders his ship to kamikaze into Xandar. Rocket and Yondu's men shoot as many of the ships down as they can. The Nova Corps ships linking together is one of my favorite visuals in this movie. It's, it's, there are so many inventive ideas in this film that just make the story work. Yeah, they had much better defenses than Asgard. <laughs> I mean, heck. And that was one of your things. I remember that yep. clearly when I, when I saw this. I was like, okay, Xandar, you guys need to get together. Your, your, your defensive coordinators need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was, it was pretty, when you first see him show up and they start linking, I was like, what are they going to do here? And I didn't realize how big their army was. They covered the entire Dark Aster. Yeah, I, when I first saw this, I you know, immediately thought of Asgard. But I'm thinking, man, I wonder how, what your true opinion was about this. Was it kind of cool? Was it kind of hokey? No. I was like, oh, I had to. I was really curious on what you would think about that whole linking up together and creating like this mesh. Yeah. Net, so to speak. That was cool looking. Almost to the bridge, Drax kills Korath. Groot grows a long, thin branch and impales many goons. He then whips them around, taking out even more. Everyone makes it to the bridge to fight Ronan. Again, he's too strong for them, but Peter manages to shoot Ronan with Rocket's super cannon. It does nothing. Rocket crashes the Milano into the bridge and seems to have destroyed Ronan. The entire ship is plummeting towards Xandar, so Groot forms a giant nest around all of them for safety. Rocket is upset because he knows that what Groot is doing will end up killing him. Groot who up to this point has only said, I am Groot, responds with, We are Groot. Aww. 
great moment in this movie. Well-earned moment in this movie, too. Yeah, he easily becomes a fan favorite because of how simple his philosophy is. Yes. And his self-sacrifice. And it's the last time we see Groot, honestly. Because after this, the new Groot we get in the other movies is not Groot. It's an offspring of Groot. He's completely different, which yeah. is kind of sad because, you know, you really got out again. People loved him. He was like one of their minor, ma- a minor major character. If that makes any sense. No, I get it. And he was just a huge fan favorite because, yeah, he's just super simple and lovable and mm-hmm. he has a heart and all that stuff. But, yeah, after that, you kind of don't really like the new group. No. Other than, other than the cute one. But, yeah. yeah. Not, te- not teenage group. No, yeah, <laughs> okay, the ship crashes. Everyone except Groot is okay. Groot is a pile of twigs st- strewn all about. The battle is not over, though, because Ronan is still fine. He sarcastically calls Peter and his crew the Guardians of the Galaxy. As he raises his hammer for a final blow, Quill stands up and starts to freaking dance to the song Ooh, Ooh, Child. Oh, yeah. And challenges Ronan to a dance-off. Uh, Ronan asks what he's doing, as does the audience. Peter responds, distracting you, as Drax and Rocket shoot Ronan's hammer at Ronan. Releasing the Infinity Stone, Peter grabs the stone before Ronan, and Peter starts to be affected in the same way as the Collector's assistant. Holding the stone is going to kill him, but Gamora tells him to take her hand. He flashes back to when he didn't have the courage to take his mom's hand, and he now grabs Gamora's. Drax and Rocket hold hands with the others, and the power from the Infinity Stone is spread among the four of them, and they all survive, negating what they tell us in Volume 2. They kill Ronan. Rocket collects one of the sticks that was once Groot. Steve, I hate the dance-off. Yeah. In a serious scene, they it's they forced humor in there. I kind of agree it was corny. But um, Dick Quill, he had to distract. He had to distract him with something. There's no way that he could have had a battle with words with Ronan. I mean, this guy had every... He can say anything and do anything. And it's kind of like, you, you, you're just a battle of words. We just have... Like, the only way for me to get at you is I have to distract you with something corny and goofy but it just seemed extremely out of place like if it was like another human and another human having to dance off okay fine but this is like i don't know it's it it just seemed forced this is why i don't like chris pratt in this role and the reason why is because he's been great so far as soon as the battle for xandar begins i don't see peter quill or star lord anymore i see chris pratt playing a role and this scene right here this is like Parks and Rec Andy showing up. Because I'm thinking to myself, when he was abducted, he was like 10 years old. Do you honestly think that 10-year-old was doing dance-offs with his friends? No. I, were dance-offs even a thing back in the 80s? Not when you were 9 or 10. I don't think so either, yeah. Yeah. So this, this was forcing Pratt on us. And you know what I love about Tony? What I love about Tony Stark and Cap is that when I mention them, I don't mention Downey or Evans. I just say them and you know who it is. People don't refer to this character as Peter Quill. They say Pratt or Star-Lord. Yes. And that yes. tells you something, is that although he is good with his wit in this, he, he takes you out of his character sometimes. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah, you, I mentioned him as Pratt. Yeah. And don't mention him as anything else. I, I'm going to be very heartless when it comes to volume two when we do that, because in this, you're, it says right there, the four of them have to hold hands together to wield the Infinity Stone. Yeah. In volume two, they say something very different. Yeah, that's true. And I was kind of, you know, as you're reading this, I thought of something. When Quill has the stone 
and Gamora tells him to take her hand. You know, this was somebody who is a good friend, I would think, but wanted to put his pelvic sorcery on her. Yes. He immediately thinks of his mom. I, uh... That's kind of what I thought. I was like, yeah. that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. But, uh, I don't know. Hey, <laughs> I don't know. That, I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about it either until, until you yeah. read it. I was like, that's kind of creepy. Came out of left field and, and just kicked me in the balls there. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yandu appears and demands the stone as per his original deal with Peter. Peter hands him the orb. As Yandu and his men take off, one of them notes that he likes Peter, and he's glad that they didn't take him back to his dad like they were supposed to all those years ago. <gasps> what? 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 Yeah. Uh, Gamora is upset that Peter gave up the stone. Peter reveals that he switched the orbs and he still has the one with the stone. <laughs> it's a little Fooled you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Where's that sound bite? <laughs> At Nova headquarters, they turn over the orb that contains the Infinity Stone, and Peter learns he's only half human and half something ancient and unknown. They speculate that his non-human genes allowed him to hold the Infinity Stone without dying. Okay, well, does that mean that the other three also have non-human genes? Well, we know Rocket doesn't, but... Yeah, I kind of, oh, now that you read that, I kind of wish they didn't explain that, and they just left the audience speculating on what Yondu had said. This was their midi-chlorian uh, moment. Yes, it was. There is a party on Yondu's ship. His crew is celebrating, but Yondu looks suspiciously at the orb, and then opens it up. And in inside, it's a troll doll, and he smiles, yep. yet doesn't turn back around to go get the thing. Yeah, I don't know. I would have thought he'd just been pissed and just would have, like, thrown it against the wall and just goes, Quill, or something like that. I don't know. I can just see that happening. Peter finally opens the present his mom gave him before she died. It's a cassette labeled Awesome Mixtape Number 2. He asks the Guardians where they want to go. Gamora says, you lead, Star-Lord. He asks if they want something good or something bad. He then decides they should do something that is both. Rocket holds a pot in which he has stuck the stick that he retrieved after Groot's sacrifice, and we can see the face of a tiny Groot on the stick. And we get end credits. And then we get two post-credits scenes, Steve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, during the credits, the baby Groot, slightly larger than in the previous scene, so time has passed somehow, dances in his pot to Quill's 1980s music with Drax in the background. The baby Groot stops when Drax looks at him, but he starts again when Drax looks away. And credits continue. After the credits... The Collector is sitting on the wreckage, drinking, when Cosmo the Soviet space dog comes up and licks his face. We hear a voice that says, that's gross. The camera turns to reveal Howard the Duck sitting on a broken cage, drinking as well. Wow. That is two post credit scenes that literally don't mean a thing to the rest of the MCU. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the whole... The whole Marvel's way of keeping them guessing. But that's the thing. The hallmark of the MCU, the post credit tease, is completely irrelevant here. Boo! You made me stay no. for this? It's not boo. It's fooled you. Oh, you son of a gun. <laughs> oh, well, the movie's over. According to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 84%. That's 46 fresh and 9 rotten. The critics on average gave this film a 7.3 out of 10. Oh, it's not as lovable as people thought. Oh, they don't like the humor or the music. What yeah. the heck? Yeah, the audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, was a 4.4 out of 5, with 92% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. So it's a little more forgiving on the audience side. But the movie's over now, Steve. Were you entertained? Yeah, I wanted to watch it again. <laughs> um, it, had, it brought a new tone to the MCU, and I liked it. I was hesitant at first. 
I, but I liked it. Yeah, th- this was a really, really funny, 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 funny movie. And when you come off the seriousness of Winter Soldier, this is like having a mint after a steak. A mint with a little infinity stone in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, you know, probably is why I had a hard time chewing the thing. Here we go. Now let's figure out whether the awards got it right and whether this movie is worth your time or not. So, the Academy Awards, it got one nomination. We got two nominations, too. Yeah, for a Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling, which it lost to The Grand Budapest Hotel. No. I never saw the film, nor did I see Foxcatcher. You know, and I was thinking about this kind of towards the beginning when you're introduced to these characters, Gamora and Nebula. And yeah. then I looked up the actual actress of Nebula, and I was like, wow. She looks completely different. And everything, it, it is insane. And Ronin, all of that. That's, I mean, I don't know. You know, for those of you... you, you for those of you at home that are listening, if you want to know what Karen Gillan looks like in real life, she's the girl in Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. She's amazing. Yeah, amazingly gorgeous. Uh, best achievement in visual effects, it lost to, well, Interstellar, which I have to agree. Interstellar yes. is ridiculously amazing. Now, it didn't, it didn't get nominated for any Golden Globes, but at the Saturn Awards, best actor went to Chris Pratt of Guardians of the Galaxy. Here's who he beat out. Chris Evans from Cap the Winter Soldier, Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler, Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar, Michael Keaton in Birdman, Tom Cruise in Edge of Tomorrow, and Dan Stevens in The Guest. Did Chris Pratt legitimately win this? I don't think he probably should have. I would have given it to McConaughey. He was right there with Chris Evans, and if I had to pick one, I probably would pick Chris Evans over Pratt. But the other films I've never seen. Oh, I did see Interstellar. That was just amazing writing. But Matthew McConaughey, when he's watching his daughter age in front of him, that's that acting won it alone. Best comic to film motion picture, Guardians of the Galaxy wins over Captain America the Winter Soldier, the amazing Spider-Man 2, and X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah, I like this one. I would put both that. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I don't I put I, I would put Winter Soldier over this. I would put Days of Future Past over this. Days of Future Past is arguably the best X-Men movie in the Fox films. That'd be one to revisit. Yeah. Don't worry. Once the MCU starts saying that the X-Men movies are coming along, we'll start doing the X-Men movies again. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, Best costumes. I can't believe who won this. Guardian of the Galaxy was nominated. It was up against Exodus, Gods and Kings that nobody saw, Into the Woods, Maleficent, X-Men Days of Future Past, but what won it? Dracula Untold. Exodus, did that have Christian Bale in it? It may have. I think I saw that one. Yeah. I might have been the one who saw that. <laughs> <laughs> You're the $9. Got it. Yes. Uh, best director went to James Gunn for Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, he beat out a whole bunch of people. Is there anybody on there that you think should have won it? I think maybe Christopher Nolan, just because I was just a crazy film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, James Gunn was really good with all the... Um, humor director but you know what to be honest i think he just let the actors just be them okay okay so i think yeah i think chris nolan probably should yeah it was nominated for best editing but edge of tomorrow won. you've not seen that right no i have not yeah and i think i said last week with captain america that it was either edge of tomorrow or interstellar that was going to win that one best makeup guardians wins this one i mean i guess the uh academy has their own agenda yes i totally agree that they should have won yeah they chose a wes anderson movie over this that tells you something uh, best production design, Interstellar 1. Best special effects, Interstellar 1. 
Best writing, Interstellar won. <laughs> this was Interstellar's year. <laughs> I'm seeing the uh, I'm seeing the trend there, yeah. Yes, but then we go to the MTV Movie Awards. There were a set, many, many, many nominations here. We got Best Comedic Performance. Channing Tatum wins for 22 Jump Street over Chris Pratt from Gardens of the Galaxy. Eh, wrong. I took <laughs> the edge of Chris Pratt. Uh, Channing Tatum in the first one was great. The second yes. one, Then we have Best Duo. Zac Efron and Dave Franco win for Neighbors over Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel in Gardens of the Galaxy. I'm saying no to this one also. Yeah, if there was more Cooper and Diesel together on screen, I think they probably would have taken it. Okay. Well, Never seen Neighbors. Here we go. Best Hero. Dylan <laughs> O'Brien from the freaking Maze Runner wins over Chris Pratt, Guardians of the Galaxy, Shailene Woodley, Insurgent, Martin Freeman, The Hobbit. He was not even the hero in all three of those movies. And Jennifer Lawrence, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. Honestly, you could throw a dart here and find somebody I wouldn't agree with. I, you know what? This is the second time I've seen this. Maybe I need to see Maze Runner. I don't think you need to see Maze Runner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, best male performance goes to Bradley Cooper for American Sniper. I agree. I do see that whiplash in there. Yeah, Miles um, Teller for whiplash is in there, and Chris Pratt for Guardians. I like Bradley Cooper in American Sniper. That I was, do too. That was amazing. Uh, best musical moment: Hunger Games Mockingjay Part One wins when Katniss is singing to the rebels. It beat out Pratt dancing at the beginning of the movie. False. Yeah. But there is one on here that should have won, Steve. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. I can't I can't strive everybody enough to please see Whiplash. That <laughs> final scene. And I like how you put the final scene. Yes. <laughs> it's just unbelievable on how that scene though. No, that should have won for sure. I think so also. Best on screen transformation went to Elizabeth Banks for the Hunger Games. And that beat out Zoe Saldana for Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm sorry, they, they nominated the wrong person. It should have been Karen Gillan for Nebula. Yes, they should have. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. She was, you didn't even know that was her. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, best shirtless performance. Uh, Stop. I'm sorry, here are your nominees. Zach Efron for Neighbors, Channing Tatum for Foxcatcher, Chris Pratt, Guardians of the Galaxy. Who got ripped? Ansel Elgort, The Fault in Our Stars, and Kate Upton, The Other Woman. I think we both know who should have won this one. I agree. Yep, and I, I haven't agree. even seen the movie, but Kate Upton, uh, we salute you. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, movie of the year at the MTV Movie Awards. Here is what the fault in our stars beat to win this award. American Sniper, Gone Girl, Boyhood, Guardians of the Galaxy, Selma, The Hunger, well, yeah, The Hunger Games, and Whiplash. How did they get the seventh movie on this list to win? Wasn't Whiplash nominated for Best Picture at the Academy? Yes. How? Isn't Whiplash the only movie on this list that features music at the Music Television Awards? <laughs> yeah. Wow. God if Whiplash, then if not Whiplash, then American Sniper, because ah. Uh, uh. I've never seen Fault in Our Stars, and it's a YA novel. That's why. It, that's why Twilight won every year. That's friggin' MTV. Okay. All right. On to our next segment titled Top Three, Bottom Three. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve, what are your three highlights from Guardians of the Galaxy? All right. We're gonna start with number three, Rockets. He's the most selfish. 
<laughs> that makes the most sense. <laughs> he has a demeanor about him that makes him the veteran of the group. His quick wit and his humor, along with his action and compassion towards Groot, make him so intriguing. I could watch a mini movie about him for sure. Oh, yes. But here's hoping yeah. that they don't do a spinoff. No, no. <laughs> they, I, I hopefully Disney's learned from their mistakes. <laughs> <clears throat> hashtag Rogue One, hashtag Last Jedi. Solo. Let's just call it Last Jedi spinoff all, over also. <laughs> I did. I did. That's, we'll do that. That's too. how bad it was. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> number, number two, the soundtrack. I mean, yeah. Number one, if you betray me, I will <laughs> bathe the stars in your blood. Thanos. They talked about his tyranny and his villainy, even when he was off screen. That's enough <laughs> to know, oh, holy hell, this guy is bad news. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a quote I want on my door in my classroom. Oh, jeez. <laughs> put that up in the locker room. Oh, yes. <laughs> Forget clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. You put that up there, that, that's sending a message. Oh, yes. Joe? <laughs> Yes. What are your top three, buddy? All right, my number three is Drax drunk dialing Ronan the Accuser, <laughs> and then and then getting his ass kicked. <laughs> uh, my number two is the discussion of the twelve percent plan. <laughs> the whole circle bit is amazing. The problem, though, is that it's not twelve percent. It's literally the whole plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my number one is Rocket Raccoon. Everything and anything he does and says is perfect. Rocket is the MCU's Gollum. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but here you go. Bottom three. It's time to vent. And uh, I'm sure that you've got a few things. I know I've got many that knocked down to three. So, Steve, what are your three bottoms? Yeah, I know how I mentioned my number three at my top was Rocket. Well, yeah. guess what? My number three at my bottom is Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's weird. I wish I just knew more about him. I felt like he had so much harm that was done to him and his character. It's the way he is, whatever yeah. was done to him. It's like, how did he come the way he is? Yeah. I wanted to know a little bit more. I thought there were some things that were just unanswered through him. Well, question for oh, you. Go ahead. If they answer this later on, would this raise your grade? Talking about the film is now. Oh, I don't I know. know. Maybe. But it is part it's of a just, series also. It is part of a series, and if I'm grading it as a series, I guess, but as this movie is what it stands for, it is what it is. Okay. I just I just wish they would have had a little bit more insight on how his character was the way he was, because I think everybody else's character, maybe besides Gamora, yeah, because she's the one that just said, well, I guess I'll just change. Yeah, because well, all, they, all they do is show you that he's been, he's got those, you know, electronics on his back that are clearly in his skin, and, yeah, that, and, I, and that he was experimented on. yeah. There's like another conversation where he gets a little sensitive about it. Yeah. That's it. So, I don't know. That's my three. Number two. Ronan has, sorry, had great <laughs> potential to be a great villain in this series. I mean, I don't I don't like to be a villain professional or guru or anything like that. Yeah. But I would have liked to see him make more out of this movie still intact. You know? I just, I think he could have been better in the long run. I think they just kind of, he just got the short end of the hammer on this one. Oh! <laughs> and number one, I think, I, I haven't read yours, but I, I think you might agree with me that 
It was the Infinity Stone at the beginning of the movie in that little orb. I mean, something so powerful was so easily to get. I mean, it was protected by a little energy shield. Yes. That even Quill, a common scoundrel, a little common little peon of a thief, was able to get it with no issues. With a Sears vacuum. I... It was like routine with them. Yeah. I mean, if it was him, he'd probably still have the music on, throw everything down, just go through his routine. How? <laughs> who is the idiot that did this? I, I mean, unless they were like, I'm going to put this in a certain spot where it's going to be like the most unlikely place for anybody to think of. Wrong. Even a, count, a, little, a little punk scoundrel can get a hand of the power stone. Well, Sorry. it okay. Hated it. No, I'm going to give an honorable mention before I give mine here about that. And that is... When he goes in the temple to get the orb, have, did you see the walls at all? Uh, they looked like they had some the walls have, holograms well, the, or um, the, hieroglyphs. Or yeah, they were hieroglyphs, but it was a pattern. And the pattern had all of these beings pointing towards a circle. And in the circle were six colored stones over and over. It's like, so we know what it is. God dang it! This is even worse! <laughs> <laughs> what the... Joe, what are your Okay. Here I'm we about go. To lose it. go. My number three. My number three. When Quill saves Gamora in space, it's clear that two things happened here. One, this was shot underwater. And two, space is cold, but clearly not cold enough to kill you. See Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> Please uh, tell me, Disney, you did not look at this for inspiration. Uh, <laughs> this came before it. <laughs> I know, yeah. Number two, Ronan is only slightly more charismatic than Malekith the Dark Elf. I know you're a villain's dude, and I know he seemed awesome when he had his Power Stone, but let's be honest, he was already powerful without the Power Stone. He took out Drax yeah. without it. Yeah, I d- he did have more character. Oh, I guess you say slightly more, yeah. yeah. He, had a, he, he had more character, he had more emotion in him. Yeah, um, Malekith was just like a dry erase board with nothing on it it was it was nothing there. yeah and my number one i hate the dance-off scene at the end i'm sorry the, 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 the first time i saw it i thought it was hysterical i mean i was laughing when i first saw it in the theater I, I will admit that i was laughing hysterically but i think it was a shock laugh instead of a genuine one like i can't believe this is yep. happening because ronan has been like tearing through things with this power stone and he stops it because somebody does something weird for a second he would have knocked that mother on his knees with that power stone if he started dancing like that that's like um it reminded me of kind of the the scene from indiana jones where the guy's wielding the sword like crazy yeah yes that's what that's what ronan would have done exactly (laughs) yeah well let's get into our critics rating we use an a to f scale here on the movie planet a c is considered an a uh, average an a which is a 12 for us is the highest and an f which equates to a one is the lowest if the movie is so bad it receives f's from all the hosts it goes to a new category of movie the movie planet global killer a category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is so the question is, what do you give Guardians of the Galaxy in the comic book feature film genre? Now, did you go last last time or did I? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. I think um, I, think I how did. About this? I, I think I think I went last. Okay. Do you want to go first this time? I'll go first. Okay. All right. So from the beginning, I knew this film was going to be something different right from the opening credits. It kind of shocked me the first time I saw it because it was so different. Change is something difficult to take in, but in Guardians, I think they nailed it. This was something completely drastic. They brought in the comedy. 
this movie is the most fun to watch in the saga so far. I thought Iron Man 2 was one hell of a ride. I still kind of see that in the back of my mind. This would be the Millennium Force, and Iron Man 2 would be your little blue streak to all my Cedar Point fans. <laughs> the music was great. I am a huge fan of every song in this soundtrack. I still, whenever I hear Hooked on a Feeling, it's David Hasselhoff. Please go check that out and go, what the heck happened? The movie made these songs relevant again in an age where you can mumble and make millions. Mm. I mean, at school, I play these songs, you know, while kids are eating breakfast. They're like, oh, this is from Guardians, you know, and they really <laughs> get into it. I thought that was so neat. Groot dying at the end was a huge disappointment because he was such easily a fan favorite because of his simple philosophy. And that's why people gravitated to him so much. But it will be interesting to see how this new character regrows itself. Bradley Cooper does a great job voice acting as there are so many times I even forgot it was him. It was almost, I didn't have to wait till, I had to wait till the end. Like, oh, wow, that was really Bradley Cooper. The biggest draw for me was Thanos, the mad titan himself. You see him briefly, but you know this guy is the badasses of all badasses. His subtleness and stern philosophy are bone chilling. Return to me empty-handed, and I will bathe the stars in your blood. Goosebumps, goosebumps again. <laughs> it sounds like a true ruler who instills that F-O-G, that fear of God. It's a very simple plot line to follow. Magic stone destroys all. Get it away from the bad guys. Not too much to it. Very. There's a very few scenes I didn't like. And overall, I would watch this again and again. First thing I did at, right off the bat after I did all this, I gave it an A minus. Mm -hmm. And then I talked to you a little bit before this, and I was like, "Oh, that makes more sense. It's a B plus." But Joe, yeah, do it. My my top, my bottom three. <laughs> the fact that you mentioned that there's hieroglyphics pointing to six stones, and this one of the stones is in there. Yes. I, that that bugs me more than anything. It's a C plus. Holy <laughs> That knocks it down so much because that does not make any freaking sense. I hate it more than anything. The humor keeps me there. I don't That's know about what it. to say. I'm shaking right now. You are so right. I, uh, uh, so I tried my I tried my hardest not to throw my headphones against the wall so when you're... you said that because I didn't even notice it. So you're a C plus. I am a C plus. Well, wow. Joe. You continue your reign of terror with these movies. Here we go. <laughs> I don't know how I can top that, what you just said. I, <laughs> I, okay, well, here we, here's mine. Yeah, do it, buddy. Yeah, and much like what I'm about to say, this movie had the almost impossible task of making a movie based on a version of source material that nearly nobody knew anything about. It also had the task of being a movie that almost feels like a spinoff of the MCU since it's not tethered to any of the other movies. The only thing linking it to the previous films is the MacGuffin in the movie, the Orb, or what is really the second confirmed Infinity Stone, the Power Stone. Look, do I find this movie entertaining? Yes, but this is more a comedy than any of the other films, and comedies don't tend to age well. This movie in 2019 is still pretty damn funny. Casting-wise, they are perfect for each other. And that's weird to say, considering that 40% of the Guardians aren't actually there, but are CGI presences. 
So, how does this movie stay relevant in the whole MCU? Well, we get the intro to the main five Guardians and Yandu. We meet Ronan, who, as a villain, is not very compelling. Honestly, once Thanos shows up, it completely neuters the audience's expectations of Ronan. That is a writing issue. Thanos should have appeared at the end of the movie and no sooner, giving Ronan more time. We also get a second Infinity Stone in the Power Stone. So, <laughs> let's do a count. We got the Reality Stone in the Ether, and now the Power Stone in the Orb. Two down, four to go. We get the Nova Corps and the people of Xandar, which is where the Orb is now going to be to kept, be kept safe. We get a better look at the Kree. Clearly, they are not nice people. We learn that Peter Quill is more human than he appears since he can handle the Power Stone without exploding. Also, we meet Thanos and his daughter, Nebula. Thanos is clearly a bad They have improved the CGI, but it's not there yet. Now, as far as movies go that involve chasing a MacGuffin, this is pretty darn entertaining. And because it is connected into a universe, it elevates the property above most MacGuffin chases. James Gunn directs the hell out of this film from the way certain shot scenes are shot to getting the most out of his set design, to being ballsy enough to give you equal time to five completely new characters, and to giving you a heartwarming scene at the end when we hear, we are Groot. Once again, we're struck, however, with a rather pedestrian villain, though. And it seems like this movie contradicts its own plot. At the beginning, Peter is trying to return the orb to the broker on Xandar, who doesn't want it because Ronan is looking for it. Yet in the end... They keep the Power Stone on Xandar, even knowing that Thanos is out there looking for this stuff. This is a pretty damn big plot hole. Not to mention, since they've given so much weight to this object, we need to make sure its weight is felt when critiquing it. The orb was way too easy to attain. All you needed was a Sears vacuum and you could have gotten this thing out of there. Seriously. So, okay. When I weigh all this into my critique, I'm giving this movie a B minus. It was almost a C, but it just makes me smile too many times. So, Steve, I can't I, believe this is happening. Uh, I stand by it. You know, you, you might have even solidified it even more. This movie is not <laughs> making it into the Pantheon. <laughs> this, it's just not getting in. Captain America, the first Avenger, staves off another one. That The Boy Scout will not go away. Oh, <laughs> is there any issue you have here with this? No, I mean, <laughs> I know how I much you and JC love Cap. <laughs> oh God, that's uh, yeah, that's the first person I thought of. Is JC? He's got to be just livid right now. Not happy. You know, whenever, whenever he, when he listens to this, it's just so insane. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, Lay, let's get her critics' hats off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above, Steve? I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I I originally had I loved it, but I think there was <sighs> there's too many like little tiny little issues with it that just bring it out. It's like I I liked it. I liked it. You liked it. You, I, you said I you're don't convincing yourself. I liked I it. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. What about you? Well, let me just do a little grade here. So B minus, that is an eight. Okay, you gave it a C, so that's a seven. That is a C plus average for this movie. And if you look at all the movies we've done so far, that's going to put it, oh my God. <laughs> if you say that. <laughs> this ties with The Dark Knight Rises. Ooh. 
It's under Green Lantern, <laughs> but above The Incredible Hulk. I agree. Uh, for me, look, I like this movie. When it first came out, I loved it. But over time, it's a like, you know, it's one of those movies where I'm like, okay, I've got to get through this just because it's got the power stone in it. it. Okay. If I could compare this to Star Wars, this is Attack of the Clones for me. Okay. Yeah. Which I still love. And I still like the, I still like the Star Wars movies, you know, the one through six, one through seven, mm-hmm. I mean, but you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but now the ultimate question would pre-college kids love this movie, like this movie or none of the above, Steve? I think they would love it. The okay. music will bring them in there, and the comedy of Chris Pratt will. Yeah, I, I think that they love this movie. I mean, it is funny as hell, and uh, that brings in a lot of the kids. They love that crap. That that That's all, folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the time we got for today, Movies Planeteers. Next show, we'll continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Avengers Age of Ultron. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we are on the air. Send those tweets to at movieplanetpod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts, and the Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Steve, is there anything you want to add for the good of the order? <sighs> I am Groot. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> we... <laughs> And we will bathe the stars in your blood. (laughs) Thanks for listening and happy movie watching. Okay, we're out. (laughs) Wow.